Thoughts from the Heart is the name of the series, and the series comes from this scripture. If you're, it's on your handouts in Proverbs 23, 7. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So what's going on in our heart is the ground by which we think. So your first fill in there is every thought pertaining to our life is cultivated in our hearts. Let me straighten this out real quick. Sorry, I thought I could put it to the side. So when I thought about that, you know, you think about your thoughts coming from your mind or from your emotions or that type of thing, and they do, they're connected to that. But according to the word of God, that our thoughts are found, founded in our heart. So your next feeling, the heart is the atmosphere of thoughts and emotions. We talked about it last week. That's why it's so important to know that we guard our hearts because it comes the wellspring or the issues of life. And I like, you know, even if you uh, might be dealing with everyday life stuff, God still ministers to our hearts that are sometimes struggling. I know Saturday, I just had a kind of a weird day Saturday and right in the middle of it all, Jacob Vashon texted me and said, man, I just hope you're okay. And that was, he was in tune to Jonathan, wasn't necessarily having the best day ever, as Taylor always says, but even even God uses outside influences in our heart to minister that place where the thinking happens, that God designed our hearts to contain his presence and his thoughts. I'm going to show that to you in just a minute. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has under, or known or understood the mind, the counsel, and the purposes of the Lord... Uh, as so far as to guide and instruct him and give him knowledge. So let's stop right there. And, and it's the in, uh, annotation, the connotation is that who advises God? Who gives God counsel? And we all can say with certainty, no one advises God. He is good all by himself. So look at the next part of that scripture. It says, but we have the mind of Christ and do hold the Messiah, and do hold the thoughts and the feelings and the purposes of his heart. I want you to uh, circle Christ. I don't know if it was last summer or the summer before, but we talked about that being a description of Jesus, and that description is that he is anointed, and we're going to see here in just a second. I think the Passion actually does say anointing, But that anointing references that it's burden-removing, yoke-destroying, burden-removing, yoke-destroying, bondage-destroying power in that anointing. So let's read it in light of that. We have the mind of the anointing. And that anointing removes burdens and destroys bondage, destroys yokes. So the thoughts I'm, I'm meant to think the thoughts that are cultivated in my heart are under the influence of the anointing that my heart has complete access to the thoughts of the Father. In many times, we re- we're thinking, have you ever th- said that, where did that thought come from? <laughs> where did that come from? And that's naturally because we live in a fallen world, and so we're going to have the influence of the issues of a fallen world. But at the same time, we have access to the heart of God. I have been given the privilege to, com- to claim that my co- heart cultivates the thoughts 
of the anointing. Hopefully I can show this to you by the end of tonight. That I have that privilege, I have the right, I have the, uh, the audacity sometimes to say that inside of Jonathan's heart are thoughts that remove burdens and destroy yokes. Inside the heart of Jonathan are thoughts that are free from bondage. Inside the heart of Jonathan are thoughts that are influenced by the heart of God. Romans 8, 5 says this, And those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves, but those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the, Watch this tie-in right here. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. Now, I've often heard a lot of preachers, they'll preach on that the mindset of the flesh is death. So let me give a little bit of an explanation there. Death doesn't mean said that you have this mindset and all of a sudden, boom, you're dead. It has a couple of meanings. It's a separation from the th things of God is death. If you think about ultimate death, we, we're, we won't experience death because we've accepted Jesus. But those who don't will have a complete separation from, from the Lord. And so it's, if you think back to Adam and Eve, it said that when they disobeyed, they were then introduced to death. They didn't immediately die, but they were separated. There was a separation of what they knew with walking with God in the fullness of the, in the cool of the day. Now let's come back to where we live that we can have a place where the thoughts that we think in our hearts are separating us from God. But look at the second part of that scripture. But the mind controlled by the Spirit brings life and peace. Two things here. Many times we don't think that our heart is meant to live in life and peace and then at the same time, many of us don't know how to contend with a life that, that or, or an existence where our heart is constantly living in life and peace. Life and peace follows the heart that is guided by the Spirit of God. What does that mean, Jonathan? That means that when my heart follows the Spirit of the living God, that I can, I can expect to have life and peace inside of me. Let me stop, full stop right here while I'm thinking about it, is that we're going to be talking about thoughts from the heart. And many times you can minister, and many ministers will minister on captivating your thoughts and so forth, and, and then we'll say, well, if you ever have anything that is contrary, your thoughts are contrary to, to what God's heart is, then, you know, you're, you just need to get a hold of yourself and get a hold and, and straighten yourself out. That's not always the just the reality. There are times where we need to seek help, it, help from those that, whose business it is, and hopefully you can find somebody that has a spiritual, scriptural background to them. And I don't think that means that you're any less a believer if you have to seek that route for extreme or severe or overwhelming cases. Case in point, probably this summer, I'll have at least one or both of my knees replaced. Now, this, here's the deal. I've believed God. I've had people pray over him. I've done everything in the natural stem cell stuff, plasma stuff. But it finally came to a point where you just 
realize in the natural, you've got to seek another thing. And so what I'm believing for this summer, if it's one or both, is that God will use that doctor, <laughs> the wisdom of medicine that he, God provided for them to bring healing and restoration to my mobility. So the same is in the heart and in the mind. So I want to preface that before we go any further, because many times we can think, well, well if you just get your mindset right, if you just get your heart set right, everything will fall into line. And that's not always the case. So I want to make it clear for those situations that are chronic or severe, seek professional, spiritual Christian help, but certainly when it comes to the mind and to the heart. If my heart is in turmoil, then I'm not being guided by the Spirit of God. We talked about last week that I, it's my responsibility, the condition of my heart. And if my heart is in turmoil, then I have to stop and think and say, is my mind, is my heart in tune to the Spirit of God? I want to go over these four areas of toxic thinking. When I was thinking about that, I was like, you know, I really don't. The people that I'm going to be speaking to, this really is, these four traits are not going to apply to anybody in this room. But then God kind of was kind of talking to me. By the way, I've been cleaning out my garage, and I found my first cell phone. It's so random that I brought it up here with me. And here's what you did to answer it. You flipped that thing up. And then when you were done with the call, no internet, no Facebook, no TikTok, no nothing. I don't remember what was on this screen. Maybe just the dial, the, but I found that. I was cleaning out my garage. I was like, look at that. First cell phone. This thing weighs a ton. <laughs> but <laughs> totally off, off, off topic. But these four areas of toxic thinking Probably everybody in this room can think of somebody you know or in your life that deals with these. And what ends up happening with toxic thinking is people that are chronic with it, like I said, I don't believe that I'm talking to anybody right now that, that would suit, fit in these situations, but misery loves company. And they will try to draw you in in one way or another to that way of thinking, if not try to and maybe this will make more sense once I go through the list, make you um, a part of the toxicity that they live in. Here's the first one, relational cynicism. Relational cynicism. Now, these were thought through by people like Caroline Leaf and other people that deal with the heart and the mind and so forth, and definitely the believer. Let me tell you what relational cynicism, and if you want to write this out to the side, this is um, where you don't relationally trust people, that you apply motives to them that, let me, let me ask you this, have you ever been dealing with someone and they applied a motive to you that wasn't even in your thinking and all of a sudden they just, usually they just unload on you and you're like, I, I have never thought that way toward you. I have never had that in my thinking, but then they apply to you that your motivation was this, you did this to hurt me, you did this because you were seeking revenge on me, you did this because you have no care for my thoughts or my emotions, and you're like, where does that come from? Relational cynicism. Uh, uh, 
my mind just went blank, relational cynicism. Now, often they are critical. Let me say this differently. They are most critical of the things in their own heart. I want this to help you. I don't want this to be like, let's, you know, let's find somebody and beat the snot out of them. But how they think, and then also keep in mind that we live in a place where we guard our hearts from this kind of thing. That they live in a place where they, uh, the things that they attribute to other people, they're the first person guilty of those things. That they, um, they, uh, their shortfall, let me read, just reread my notes, and this isn't on your fill-in. The shortfalls we find in, they find in themselves in others are off, often the shortfalls in their own life. Have you ever had somebody that accused you of something and you're like, I don't know, maybe being dishonest, that you were dishonest about so-and-so, and in your mind you're thinking, you are the one of the most dishonest people I have ever met. <laughs> and you're accusing me of being dishonest. So those are often what happens with that rel relational cynicism is that they will apply to, to other people and accuse other people of things that are paramount in their life. Here's the second one, negative filtering. I'm going to go somewhere tonight. I'm not going to leave, leave us on this bummer. Negative filtering. And here is where they are fault finding. That they overlook what is good. I, 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 we, can, we can put, you want to put next to Karens are <laughs> negative filtering. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. What is that? Uh, like you watch some of the things on TikTok where they're Karen alert and then they go. Um. But let me, let me, I'm being a little facetious and lighthearted about negative filtering. But let me, let me ask this. People that operate in negative filtering, if we don't watch it, our hearts can have touches of that. Case in point. Have you ever sent a text to somebody and they didn't respond that day? And, you know, it wasn't like, hey, what's up? I mean, if... I've sent a text one time that, you know, was really pointed, not, I mean, not in a mean way, but I'm saying, I was saying something that was of significance, and a whole day passes before I got a response. Now, I, I, wish, I, was, I wish I could say I was more spiritual than this, but have you ever assigned, <laughs> what do you call it, motivations to, the, to those people that really weren't the truth? Like all of a sudden, like, did I make them mad? Did I do something that they're, are they mad at me? Are they, are they ghosting me? Are they, and then you find out the next day that they dropped their phone in the toilet or something like that, or somebody, you know, ran over it with a car and you're like, oh, that's why you didn't respond. Or I had this earlier this week where I sent a text to somebody and then I just called just to follow up because it was a, something of a little bit of importance. And when she called me back, she's like, I responded to you. I just never hit send. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Typed it out and then just shut the phone and <laughs> forgot to hit send. But that negative filtering can be that where we assign things to people's intentions that really aren't true, that really become fabrications in our mind because we are filtering it through 
fantasies or untruths or, or, or no foundation. Next one, absolute thinking. Absolute thinking. Now, thank you for whoever's helping me with that. I'm over here looking at my list instead. This is polarizing thoughts. This is where it, the thinking of this nature, all men are pigs. All women are too emotional. That's polarized or absolute thinking. Certainly in the political realm, this is very pronounced. But what happens with absolute thinking is that there is no, like, let's just say that all men are pigs. Well, not Ryan Wheeler. I mean, he can make a good point, but he's not a pig. But, but do you see how that kind of thinking discounts everything coming in your life? And let me, let me say it this way. It's a defense mechanism that ends, you end up missing out on rich relationships because you've already had absolute thinking when it comes to something in particular. Our experience, this is interesting, you want to write, might write this out of the side, our experiences write our inner script. So we have to be careful with the experiences that we go through that those experiences don't end up writing the future scripts. Next thing on that, and I'm sorry I didn't do fill-ins on these, that um, people that have this kind of thinking generally don't know they do. They don't know that they have absolute thinking. They think, and I, I heard... Uh, uh, Craig Groeschel say this. He said, just because you think you're right doesn't make you righteous. That absolute thinking has us sometimes in a place where we could be absolutely correct on something, but because of our delivery, because of our tone, because of our insensitivity, because whatever that thing is, that absolute thinking is a offense to people that might have listened to our, what we were thinking. The fourth and final one is blaming. This one, it comes in, and, and this will um, give some explanation to some people in your lives, that blaming, usually those people see themselves as a victim. Does this help anybody right here by me saying this? they usually enjoy being a victim. Because there's actually some, uh, when they think that they are constantly being done wrong, there's some type of soothing to a, a weird way of thinking that thinks that if I've been done wrong, if I'm the victim, then something is owed to me. I have been wronged worse than other people they end up thinking, blaming mentality, blaming thinking, they end up thinking that they don't have any control over their, over their life. And this is interesting, that kind of thinking is that they become discontent with things in their life that really are good. This is one of the saddest ways of thinking is because they will take good relationships and sabotage them. 
they'll sabotage them because one of two things. One, they don't think that they're worthy of a good relationship, and so they don't know how to handle it, and they'll destroy it uh, just, you know, automatically. But the other, the other one of that is that they somehow think that eventually you'll do me wrong, so why, why don't I just make a mess out of it right now? So these ways of thinking, like I said, um, I, like I said, I don't think anybody that I'm talking to in the sound of my voice would categorize as these. But at the same time, can you see that those can be filtered into how we think when we're around people like that? So watch what happens is this. There's four areas of new life thinking. That these aren't toxic, these are new life thinking. And the first one is this, that my life and my thoughts have been redeemed from the curse of the law. If you look in Galatians 3, it talks about we've been redeemed from the curse of the law by Jesus becoming a curse for us. And if we think about our salvation, if we think about our redemption, if we think about that we've been purchased by the blood of the Lamb, that all makes sense when we say we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. But that redemption also applies to the way our heart thinks that our hearts have been redeemed from the curse of the law, meaning that my, my mind, my thoughts, my emotions have been redeemed. Now, that doesn't mean that if I have any of those thoughts that are contrary, then there's something wrong. We still live in a fallen world. We still have the effects of what goes on in this world and in this culture. But at the same time, I can have a way of thinking that says, my thoughts that abide in my heart have been redeemed from the curse of the law. The next one is this, that I am loved more than I could ever imagine. Jeremiah 31 says that we've been loved with an everlasting love, a love that has no end. Have you ever um, felt unlove? Don't raise your hand. I'm, this is, have you ever felt unlovable? Those are natural things to feel and that we feel we don't feel loved sometimes or we don't feel lovable, but according to God's word and according to the redemption that we live in, in our hearts, that we can live in a place in our thinking that I am loved more than I will ever know. That my, my, I am loved just as I am more than, and you, can you, before we even go any further, can you see how that if I simply change my thinking when it comes to that I'm loved, it can change a multitude of things. It can change, completely change our outlook on life when we think, I am loved more than I'll ever imagine. The next one is, I have a destiny that has been handcrafted by the master. We talked about this last week when we said that he is working things out perfectly. And of course, this in, in Psalms 139 says that all of my days are ordered by him. That I have a destiny that right now is being handcrafted by the master of it all. So there comes a rest in my thinking, a rest in my heart, a rest in my, in my thoughts when it comes to that every single one of my days are designed. And I'd have to worry I don't, if, you, if you're like me, you think, am I, am I at the right place where I'm supposed to be? Have I missed opportunities in cleaning up my uh, garage this last couple of days? I 
just junk. We collect a lot of junk. I found a notebook this thick of all the, all the handwritten notes from all my girlfriends when I was a you know, teenager. Yeah. They're all married, have kids. Here I am. <laughs> you, may, you can think, well, did I, did I miss something? Did I, did I, did I uh, take a wrong turn in Albuquerque? <laughs> But if we have a mindset and a thought pattern that says today is handcrafted by God. Today is a, I'm right at the designated place that my father has for me. And just like we said last week, before I read the fourth one, isn't there a rest in our hearts that comes from knowing that I don't have to make sure to make my destiny? I don't have to worry about, is my destiny going to happen? Is it going to manifest? God is at work. And here's the fourth one, that there is nothing in my life that I need that he won't make sure I have. And of course, James 1 is that every good and perfect gift. I don't lack anything. Turmoil in this world, and we saw it even in the last couple of days with these run on banks and the bank failures and so forth. And so everybody prognosticates that, you know, another bank's going to fall. And what does that come from? That comes from a fear of lack. And so that's kind of an outward expression. But many times we will allow that in our heart, that fear of lack, that fear that we don't have enough fear that we don't have enough uh, from other people, fear that we don't have enough from uh, uh, the talents, the abilities. I'm not as talented as somebody else. I don't have those abilities. I don't have that kind of fortune. And, And everything that Jonathan needs, everything that we need, he'll make sure we have. Once again, it just each one of those four, as I was writing them, I said, they're just, you know, just sea law, just breaths of fresh, just relax in them. That everything that I need, he'll make sure I have. And he's made sure. Can anybody else testify that? Everything that I've ever needed, he's provided. I never in, my, in, in anything that I know, other than, you know, I missed out on that girl that I liked in ninth grade. She went and married somebody else. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Everything that I need, he'll make sure I have. I like this closing verse right here in Colossians. It says, yes, feast on, this is the passion, feast on all the treasures. I can't, what was that movie? This is horrible. Every time I see feast, I think of that movie Brave where that guy says, feast your eyes. (laughs) Does anybody remember what scene that was? It was horrible. Anyway, (laughs) feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm. So stop right there. A feast implies there's a lot there. When Ryan and Amelia moved into their, their house, we had a housewarming, and, and uh, he made these hamburgers that, I can't remember what you put in, they were the most flavorful, and then he did this shrimp on, on, the barbie, on the barbecue that was, I mean, that shrimp, I was like, man, I could just eat truckloads of that, and when we went to that housewarming, there was just food, every, it was a feast, 
So the implication is when we feast on it, that means there's, there's a lot of it. Feast on the treasures of the heavenly realm. Would you agree there's a lot to worry about? Thoughts from the heart would say there's a lot to be grateful for too. Would you agree that there's a lot that we could be overwhelmed with? Thoughts from the heart says there's a lot of peace that's available to me as well. Would you agree that there's a lot of turmoil and conflict, but we could also say thoughts from the heart is I can live in a place of love and harmony, feasting on the realities of heaven and fill your thoughts. Sorry, I accidentally tapped that. Fill your hearts with the heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. When your heart is heavy, recognize what you're feeling. Before I do these last two fill-ins, when your heart is heavy, thoughts from the heart doesn't mean we live in a place of denial. Oh, I'm supposed to have a heart that's full. And when your heart is heavy, recognize it. I think one of the biggest fallacies we have is that people don't want to deal with the reality of what they're going through. And what ends up happening is that we have a warped sense of reality that is just so contrary to God's way of thinking that it just breeds more separation from God. Ryan, um, this is your night, bro. You've just been inspiring me. Ryan came to me a couple weeks ago and he says, we need to do a, a, a series on encouraging young men to be responsible. I said, that's a good one. And I saw this guy this week on a, a short little video clip, and he was talking about, he says, you know what we've uh, missed on? We've missed masculinity in men. Because here's what happens, is that when we have strong masculine men, you know how to deal with reality in a healthy manner. And I thought about this, Tiffany, I thought about this because we can, I'm sorry, I just caught eyes with you for a second there. I thought about this because we have no problem looking at strong women and celebrating them. Kate's a strong, directive woman. Tiffany, Hannah, Michelle, strong. We don't have any problem with that. We get strong, directive men and we start throwing out all kinds of, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to offend somebody. You're going to say too much. You're going to go too far. And do you realize that that has been symptomatic of why people are so messed up in their thinking is because we've taken what can be a place of a strong masculine man who is sensitive to what people's needs are, but at the same time knows how to stand up for something. I guess that's where I'm going. I think that's where our conversation was, is that a lot of, if you just look at culture, men hardly stand up for anything. And then when you do have some men that stand up for something, they are called everything in the book. You can just simply say, I believe what the Bible says. And all of a sudden, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, you're a nationalist. I mean, just gonna go the list just by some strong man saying, I believe what the Bible says. 
And the point being is that when we have that place, that stance of courage, it really is just courage. And really, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me when it comes to critics or people in the world. But when the the people that I have influence over, the people that are in my care, so to speak, I need to have courage. I need to be able to stand up for what is right and speak the truth in love and be a soft place to land, but also be a force to be reckoned with. Did, Did you hear me? Be a force to be reckoned with. And I think we're missing that. Can I say this? And this isn't in my notes. Is that I think a lot of people, and starting with our young people, deal with toxic thinking, deal with the thinking that is affecting their everyday life. They deal with thinking that this really just taking them under. Because we haven't had that stance of saying, not on my watch, not under my care. Not while I'm around. In the face of you or you're too opinionated. You've got you've got a warped way of thinking. You need to come into the 21st century. Your thinking is old and archaic. No, it works. It 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 works. Just think about this. And once again, this is not in my notes. If we were going to war, who would you want in charge and who would you want to send? Pansies? Indecisive ones? Well, you never know. We don't want to upset anybody. Or do you want somebody that goes in and if we're being attacked, they unleash hell on our enemies? And can you see, I I hope this ties together as it does in my heart, is that we really have gotten, toxic thinking has gotten a free pass because we don't stand up and and draw the line and say, no more. When my actively, this, this does fit in right here. When I actively move my thoughts toward the truth. And then those thoughts align with truth will bear witness with your spirit. The one thing that this culture, that the enemy of our soul is so afraid of, is people getting a hold of truth and getting in their spirit. You don't have to answer this, but have you ever had a place in your life where you thought that your thoughts were under attack? It's the enemy. He comes after the parts in our lives where he thinks that he has a foothold in an, in, in, an inroad. But when we make that decision that the thoughts of my heart are pure and they are stable in his presence. Let me pray for you. Father, I just believe right now that you are speaking to our hearts, that you're moving in our lives, and that our hearts, I thank you, God, that every person finds that place where the condition and the atmosphere of their heart 
is conducive to truth and love and harmony and the presence and the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.